I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. Jenna, did you hear about the cheese factory that exploded in France? No. There was nothing left but debris. <laughs> I love cheese. I Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode seven. Um, Jenna, you want to share your joy junk Jesus? Hello. Yes. So my <clears throat> joy is that we have been spending a lot, um, a lot of family time with our parents. So we're going over to their houses more often. And it's just... It's really fun and really good, and we end up spending way too much time over there and not being able to have enough time to go home and do the work that we need to do, because <laughs> then we're exhausted. But it's really beautiful, and it's bringing me a lot of joy and Tony a lot of joy. Um, my junk, I have a fake junk. I told my um, little horse, <laughs> Dad, <laughs> Oh, okay. I have fake junk. Yeah, gotcha. Um, I told my my dad joke, my little horse dad joke to my teens on retreat, and they just stared at me, <laughs> and it hurt my soul. <laughs> they didn't think I was funny. It's okay. No, my real junk is that um, I've been having a lot of migraines recently, mm. and I don't know if it's just the hormones of pregnancy or uh, my neck is acting up again. I need to go to the chiropractor, but... That's just been throwing me off my game a little bit, and then I had started my um, 33 days to morning glory consecration again, and I just didn't choose a good time to start it, mm. and I think Satan's also using my migraines um, and just my busy schedule to throw me off my prayer game, so prayers for that, and then my Jesus moment is we did go on retreat this weekend. Um, it was beautiful, and it was good, but it was also really, really sad because... Our year or two group is just very different, and it's it's really hard being a youth minister and seeing how numb teens um, have gone through their lives and how numb they become to Christ, and it was just very apparent at our retreat, mm-hmm. um, and it, we kind of left, and I was kind of left in a funk and really sad, um, but what my Jesus moment was was actually not on retreat. It was after retreat. Tony had received a text message from one of his teens, and just... It was just the most beautiful thing of them coming to the realization that, like, Christ was there the whole time. Mm. And um, it made me want to cry. And I was just so excited and happy that, you know, maybe they did go home and a lot of them had those moments and I just didn't get to see it and Satan was working again. But um, it just brought me a lot of joy and hope that, you know, they did actually take something from it and that that numbness is kind of being um dissolved and going away and they're waking up again so those were mine what are yours nice my joy this week is i'm working the nam show this week um it's not a catholic thing it's a <laughs> national association of music merchandisers it's this big um trade show at the anaheim convention center that i i work every year with some friends at curlin cable shout out um i don't know what number shout out that is seven eight nine maybe eight we'll figure that out okay <laughs> i think it's number nine we should have that um 
So I'm really excited for that. And then we have a big XLT on Sunday at our parish that I'm really excited for. Um, so that's my joy at the moment. My junk is I was getting like a lot of sleep after we got back from London. Like the time change was really helping me out. And that is over now. Oh, great. And now I'm back to not getting a lot of sleep and my sh- my sleep schedule kind of shifting back to how it was. So, um, yeah. But my Jesus moment... Um, we also had, um, a retreat since our last episode. It was the weekend before yours. Um, and it was just a really, really wonderful weekend. We have a really special year one confirmation group, but my intern, Vanessa, shout out to Vanessa, um, number 10, we'll pretend we know what number we're on. Um, she pretty much emceed the whole retreat and did an amazing job. And so just seeing really Jesus work through her and allowing the anxiety and the stress to come off of me. Um, was really, really awesome. So I really got to enjoy the retreat in a way that I I typically don't get to. Um, So anyways, today um, our episode is about uh, those moments maybe that probably Jen and I encountered on retreat a lot, um, but that you might encounter in a day-to-day basis is how do you have those conversations um, where you really need to share the faith or even defend the faith with someone who might be challenging you one-on-one. We've done an episode before on evangelization. That was episode two. So if you want to go back and listen to that at some point to kind of see where your heart needs to be when you're really desiring to share the faith, um, that would be really useful. But what we're going to talk about today in this podcast is, you know, why do we do this in the first place and really how to go about the logistics of having that type of conversation. When someone's in front of you and you know that you want to share your faith or you know that they um, have a misconception about the church, how do you go about doing that? And so I think we first have to start with why. Like, why do we even do this in the first place? Like, there's this kind of belief in our culture today that, like, you can believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe, like, and and we're all good. Um, But that's not really what our church teaches. Like, we're taught to promote and defend the faith. And Jesus is the primary person who told us to do that. It says in Matthew, you know, 28, 18 through 20, um, you know, I... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, so he gives them this commission. And um, I love the story of, um, of Penn Gillette. I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast before, but he's um, from Penn and Teller, and he's a really devout atheist. And one day after a show, um, someone came up to him with a Bible and kind of shared his faith with him. And Penn Gillette recounted like, that he really had a lot of respect for this guy um, because he... he thought that, you know, even though I'm not a Christian, he saw the Christian faith as important enough to share with me. And so he basically said, like, how much do you have to hate someone not to, he uses the word proselytize, but not to share your faith or share this message of heaven with them if you think it's that crucial. And so that's a really big, important why, I think, that, you know, if Jesus wants every person to be united with him in heaven, and we're not aligning ourselves with that mission, then we're kind of working against him, or at least we're not fulfilling the main mission he called us to. Um, It says in Matthew chapter 10 that um, Jesus says, whoever denies me before others, I will deny them before my heavenly father. And that is kind of like an intimidating, yeah. Um, You go back and you hear that and you're like, okay, I'm thinking of all the ways I failed at that this week. And (laughs) please, Jesus, don't hold me to that word of yours. But uh, we want to have that spirit from from Acts chapter 4 where where Peter is before the Sanhedrin and they're telling him to stop preaching. And he says in Acts chapter 4 verse 20, it is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. Um, And so that's the why. Like this is a really important part of our faith. But a lot of times we don't do this because we're afraid. Um, do you want to hear a joke? Yeah, um, always. Another joke? What do you get when you cross a Jehovah's Witness and a Catholic? I don't know what. Someone who knocks on your door and says nothing. <laughs> so, 
And this is really the sad reality in our church is that like we, we, we don't go and step out like our evangelical brothers and sisters as much as we should because we're too afraid. Maybe yes. we don't know enough. Maybe we haven't been properly educated in the faith. Um, we have a, a fear of not knowing the answer. Um, all these different things we feel unequipped. Um, but that's really making it about us. Um, and even if it's a, like an unpopular issue or an um, unpopular opinion or really morally charged issues, like we still have this obligation to promote and defend the faith. Always. Um, I, it just, it reminds me of when I was younger in high school and I was so on fire for my faith and I wanted to go street evangelist. I like wanted to go stand on the soapbox and tell people about Christ and I was so on fire and I didn't understand why our Catholic church wasn't doing that more. Mm. Um, and so I was starting to fall more into, you know, Protestant faiths and, and follow along with that, which there's nothing, you know, wrong with our brothers and sisters in how they evangelize like that. But, um, our church does it just in a very different way, mm-hmm. but I just, Oh my gosh, that quote by Penn is, it hits you straight to your heart because you're like, yeah, if I, and not telling my brothers and sisters about who Christ is because I'm either too afraid or I have a beef with them. Yeah. What? Like you can't be do you can't be running around doing that because you don't deserve heaven. They don't deserve heaven, but mm-hmm. you're given you've been gifted that gift. Why wouldn't you share that gift with them? Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. There's this great quote by a Dominican theologian. Um I can't remember I don't know if it's attributed to their name. It's just a Dominican theologian who said it. And he said, um, a person becomes enlightened not when they get an idea, but when someone gazes upon them. And so when I think about that in terms of like evangelization, we we can't like operate or in apologetics, we can't operate under this assumption that like I have something that you don't have and I'm going to bestow this on you. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in this position of power. Mm-hmm. Poor you. You don't know Jesus. Like that's like a really um, not great place to come from because you're going to enter into that conversation like a lot of political dialogue we see nowadays where no one's really listening or seeking to understand the other person. They're just waiting for their yes. next retort or comeback. Um, and that's not really an effective way to have those conversations. And so I like to see it as evangelization is not necessarily telling someone about Jesus and them understanding. It's about awakening the Jesus Christ who was already within them Mm -hmm. and allowing him to come to the surface. Mm -hmm. And so instead of you giving them something, you're seeking to grow in your understanding of who Jesus is by encountering him in this new person. Mm -hmm. Uh, They may just not know that that's there under the surface. And so um, there's a lot of different ways that we can go about these conversations, but we're going to get into the how. Um, So when someone comes up to you, has this conversation... You know, oh, the church, I've heard the church says this about abortion. I've heard the church says this about uh, people who are gay or lesbian, this or that. Um, Or what does the church believe about this? I've heard this. Like, how do you have those conversations in a way that's effective, in a way that's not going to um, ostracize anyone, condemn anyone, um, and really going to invite people into a loving relationship of Jesus Christ? with Jesus Christ and to help spark their curiosity to want to know more. So the first step. Um, is first determine if it's possible to have a good conversation in the situation at all. And I think this is something we don't do in our culture. Like, no. someone wants to debate an no. issue, like, cool, I know everything about it, and you probably know nothing, so I'm just going to totally educate you. Um, and sometimes the Christian thing to do is not to have the conversation, because yeah. we're not ready. Um, it, it says in First Peter chapter 3, um, verses 15 to 16, always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. Mm -hmm. But 
Do it with gentleness and reverence, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are maligned, those who defame your good conduct in Christ may themselves be put to shame. And so it doesn't say, like, always be ready, period. It says, like, but you have to be able to do this with gentleness and reverence. And so if this is just going to be a heated argument or a screaming match, um, then the charitable thing to do is not to have the conversation in the first place. Um, and this might not be apparent at first, so asking questions is really helpful. We talk about this a little bit in the evangel- evangelization yeah. episode. Um But asking things like, why are you asking this question? Uh, Do you really want to know the answer? Are you willing to admit that you may have misunderstood or be wrong about this or that? Um, And really seeking to like get to that place where you can discern, are we going to have a good dialogue here? Are we going to really have something that's fruitful? Or is this just going to become a screaming match? There's been so many times that I've been in that situation. And there's been plenty of times that I ignore that idea of, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this right now because of my pride, mm-hmm. because I want to tell somebody that they're wrong, because I I feel <laughs> like, no, this is my moment and I need to be te- like telling them all about who Jesus is and shoving it down their throat. And there's been plenty of times I've done that, but there's also been a number of times and one time in particular that stands out to me that I actually sat down and I got to the bottom of why this person was so angry and didn't really evangelize them. Mm-hmm. And... It was just, it was one of my teens in confirmation, and I remember that it was the first, I think it was like one of the first meetings, and we were talking about prayer and their relationship with God, and I sat down because I could tell their small group was a little too rambunctious and that they needed some, um, just to be recollected and brought back together. And so I sat down, and this kid was really just amped about not wanting to be there and amped that he had to talk about God and he didn't have a relationship and he was atheist and I just kept asking him okay why like why why are you angry are you okay do we need to go step outside and it got to the point where he finally relaxed and we weren't even talking about faith anymore but he brought (laughs) up finally at the end of our conversation that he had been um, praying to God of when he he lost somebody Mm. and he felt like God didn't answer his prayer and how he was angry with that and so ultimately when he his first claim was that he was atheist and that he was mad it ultimately was he was mad at God because he felt like God had abandoned him Mm. and if we don't sit down we have those conversations with people and we don't just listen and we don't ask questions we're never going to get to that point of finding out the root of why they are the way they are and who they are. Mm-hmm. So we really do have we have to listen, we have to sit down. And sometimes you're not going to talk about faith. You're going to talk about unicorns and sports and whatever <laughs> just to get to know the person. I don't know why unicorns always come to you guys. I'm sorry, I love them. They're beautiful creatures if they were true. They're more like rhinos. But we just need to ask questions and we need to be willing to not talk about our faith and shove um, information down people's throats. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... That's the first thing we have to determine. Is this conversation worth having? Is it going to be fruitful? The next thing we need to do is we need to pray in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we need to say, come Holy Spirit, like take a deep breath, um, invite God into this conversation from the very beginning. Because this, these conversations, sharing the faith and defending the faith are not necessarily about having all the answers. Um, It's about building trust and building a relationship that's going to point them to the relationship that's going to fulfill them most, and that's one with Jesus Christ. And so I think um, more often than not, like when you're studying apologetics and when you really want to evangelize, the thing that people teach you most is like, okay, here's what someone from this faith is probably going to say. Here's a common objection to that. Here's what you can find it in scripture. And I think like that's not always the most effective 
thing. You know, asking them these mm-hmm. questions to figure out their context, but then really just inviting the Holy Spirit to come and say like, okay, God, can you guide this conversation? Because this may not even end up being about this particular church teaching. It might just be the fact that this person doesn't mm-hmm. trust the Catholic church anymore or mm-hmm. someone who is Catholic broke their trust and it's caused these misconceptions to follow. Mm-hmm. So that second thing we need to do is pray. Um, the third thing we need to do is we need to know our goal. Um, I think there's like this tiny, maybe not tiny for some of us, this like big desire for victory in these conversations. Like I want to be the one that wins. I want to be the one that like knows the quip that comes back and them to go like, oh, and the whole group to be like, whoa, you know, like, and that is not at all having a charitable heart in these conversations. Like you're not trying to convert these people. Um, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. And that's going to open over the course of several conversations, um, several different moments. You're really just opening the door in this moment a little bit to be able to kind of welcome them into that relationship with Christ. There's this great book called Great Catholic Parishes. Um, the author's last name is Simon, and we're reading it in my in my class right now, but we've read it before um, as a staff at um, the parish. And a great line in this book that really stuck with me, as he said, evangelization is not about uh, conversion, and it's not even about filling up the pews. It's simply about opening the doors. And that's something that really stuck with me. Uh, And if you look at um, Forming Intentional Disciples, another book by Sherry Waddell, she has these different thresholds that she talks about where anyone can be at any particular one of these thresholds at a given time when it comes to their faith. So they might be at trust. You know, maybe they're, they don't trust them. Maybe they're pre-trust. They don't trust someone who's um, Catholic. They don't trust the Catholic Church. They don't trust God. And so in that conversation, if that's what you can identify, then your goal then is to help them trust you. And you do that by asking questions and caring about who they are and where they're at. Maybe they do trust the church and they're starting to go to that next Mm -hmm. threshold, which is a curiosity. Um, And so if you can recognize that, that they have a lot of good questions, but maybe they're a little bit misguided and they're still kind of closed off. You can kind of, you know, ask them why they have those questions, get to the bottom of those together. Um, And then the next one is openness. Maybe at that point, they're really open to knowing. And then you can really maybe share with them, this is what the church actually teaches. Um, But you'll notice you don't really share church teaching at those er earlier spots. You might have a little moment to share why the church does a certain thing. But really, you're meant to just be present to that person Mm -hmm. and have a conversation with them, build a relationship with them where they can come back or at least feel open to have that next step of the conversation with someone else in the future. And then after that, there's seeking and then discipleship. Those are those thresholds, um, trust, curiosity, openness, seeking and discipleship. Um, And a lot of times we do stuff in evangelization and apologetical conversations where um we're trying to do something that would only be conducive to someone who's really seeking the faith. Mm -hmm. And really, they're like Mm pre-trust. And so it's not like effective at all. Um, It's about leading them to Christ, not being right or or leading them closer to us. And that's something we commonly commonly come up against, I think, in our own pride. We don't need to drop, like, we don't need to say something that will cause you to drop the mic. Like, we don't need a drop the mic moment in our conversations, if you know what I mean. And yet we want that so badly because we want to be better. We want to have a one-up on people. But I also remember I went to um, a meeting, a conference about those steps, the pre-trust, trust, curiosity, openness. And we talked about how um, our church doesn't do that 
well. We don't really minister to those steps very Mm -hmm. well. We kind of assume that everybody's already open and seeking and that we have ministries tailored to those people when we really need to be tailoring to the pre-trust, the trust, um, which we're not actively seeking and doing right now. We're not actively trying to pursue those people that are at the pre-trust and at the trust places. And so we're losing half of our congregation that are in these places and we're not ministering to them at all. And so we really need to going into these conversations kind of maybe even like, okay, where are you at? Oh, you're at pre-trust. Okay. Now I know where to start with you and move from that place. Um, Even within the ministries that maybe if you're a youth minister within the ministries that you're doing, just navigating and seeing, okay, where's this teen at? Where's this person at? Now I can minister better to you rather than just assuming that they're already going to be wanting to be open and seeking, and maybe eventually disciples. So now you're going to be on our leadership team. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why we kind of paired these together. Uh, this is probably something we should have done at the beginning of the episode, but these terms, evangelization and apologetics, like even evangelization comes from the Greek word evangelion, which is sharing news or sharing the good news. Um, and so this is something really in any conversation where you're doing apologetics, which is the word we use in the church for defending the faith. It comes from the old um, Roman court system of an apology, not saying I'm sorry, but like it was a legal defense. So you're, you're putting up some kind of defense and a reasoned argument um, that this thing is right or, you know, or wrong. Um, and so we're defending the faith in those moments, but all those conversations need to start with that good news. And that's why we paired these together because you can't have one without the other. Um, and so part of that is knowing your goal and being able to share good news with whoever is there, you know, in front of you. Um, and then part of how you do that is the next thing, which we've already mentioned is asking questions, um, to understand the context, um, People may not always be aware that um, of a particular church teaching, but they're more focused on the fact that they were hurt by a priest, by a Catholic, or they felt God wasn't there for them, like the story you told in a time of need. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes we get in these, The um, I feel like there's two models of doing this. There's the John the Baptist model, which is like, <laughs> you're going to know this immediately when you hear it. It's just the repent like and it's the people on the street corner with the sign or it's the people who are very very tenacious and i'm not saying that there isn't a time and a place for that um i think it has a very rare occasion where in the way that it's typically done in our world that it's effective um but i think some people in certain moments need to be called out radically in that way and that's why john the baptist was successful but i think the the model that we're more commonly called to is the jesus model and i'm thinking particularly of the situation where he encounters the woman at the well in John chapter four, where he sits with her and he, he kind of breaks the expected norms of someone who's religious with someone who's, he's not technically supposed to be associating with. Mm -hmm. Um, and he just asks her questions and kind of gets to know her and slowly reveals her own desires. Her own questions are being revealed, um, or revealing something about her till it comes to the surface that she's been married five times to five different men. And now she's living with someone who's not her husband. And he calls her to this loving act of repentance and not in this yell, scream in your face type way, but in this really like asking questions and sitting with type of way. Um, and so asking questions is really important. I, I was just thinking our, our society is very, we get offended very easily, very easily. And so, um, we don't respond well to any sort of like aggression or tell like somebody telling you that yeah. you need to do something. 
And so the first, you know, John the Baptist way most likely isn't going to work. No, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it is. We need that one-on-one time, just like that story I told. But um, we really do. We need to approach anybody <clears throat> like Christ approached the woman at the yeah. well. Yeah, and I think in a classical time where, like, there was classical thought, there was a sense of things that are true, things that are not. It was more cut and dry. Yes. That was a lot more effective. But we live in a postmodern world now where there's all of this moral and spiritual relativism out there to yeah. where like anyone is their own personal authority anyone is their own personal sense of spiritual you know guidance like no who are you to tell me what to do type of thing mm-hmm. and so that kind of yell scream preachy proselytize right in your face um is not as effective whereas you can proselytize under the radar by asking these really powerful questions not you know, we don't want to get in this kind of sinister way of doing it. Like, I'm just asking you this question so I can get my point across. Right. We really have to authentically want to encounter Christ in this person and to to engage in a conversation that's going to lead both of us to Christ together. Right. That's really the goal. And so these last three things um, have to do with the transcendentals, these virtues of um, truth, goodness, and beauty. Um, and I put them in a particular order because I think commonly when we think about faith and we have certain conversations, we... Um, we tend to do this in the opposite way. We tend to try and share the truth. We're like, people need to know the truth. Um, you know, it's our responsibility to give it to them because the Catholic Church has the fullness of truth. And we kind of become these kind of like arrogant harbingers of the truth. Like, And then if they know the truth, they'll see that it's good and they'll see that it's beautiful. Um, I don't particularly think that that's the most effective way to evangelize. I like to do um, what certain theologians do, like Hans Urs von Balthasar, um, Bishop Robert Barron, um, these people who evangelize with beauty first. Mm. Because if you have someone have an encounter with something beautiful and it speaks to them, mm-hmm. it's going to be very easy for them to see that it's good and then very easy for them to have that open door to then seek the truth themselves. However, if they're coming from a place of hurt and you just hammer at them with the truth, they're probably not going to want to hear it. Um, not to say that there are certain situations where the truth first doesn't make a difference. You know, if people are really in that seeking or discipleship phase, they want to know the truth. Mm-hmm. But that's that's not the beginning of their journey. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're dealing with someone who's right in front of you, Maybe, you know, pre-trust, trust, like right there and is hurt, is dealing with, you know, pain behind the questions that they're asking or the um, angry, maybe um, misconceptions about the faith that they're presenting to you, then beauty, I think, is really the place to start. So these next three, these last three are share beauty, share joy, and share truth. Um, And that joy is the goodness. Um, We have a beautiful... um, Beautiful faith in the Catholic faith. Um, but a lot of times we start by sharing the what, which I think is the truth part. Like, here's what the church teaches instead of the why. And that, I think, is the beautiful part. Like, this is why the church teaches what it does. Um, and so I think in any of these conversations, when you're about to um, open your mouth, the question you need to ask yourself is, why is this good news? Mm-hmm. Why is this good news not only for me, but for the person sitting in front of me? And that might reshape your answer. Um, I think part of the reason why... The church, in at least in our postmodern world, has a difficulty with evangelizing is because we've lost a sense of beauty in the church. I mean, look at, you know, um, St. Saint, uh, Peter's Basilica in Rome. That was, you know, the beauty of the church, you know, 500 years ago. And now look at the beauty of the church bulletin and clip art now, like oh, in the modern God, world. Why like, would you even <laughs> talk about that? But I mean, why like, bring that up? <laughs> look how far we've gone, you know, to a church that used to commission beautiful artwork to now one that is resigned to like never, never 
put any investment in it. But you can also do things like share music, share art, share all these different things. Um, and so I think beauty is a really, really uh, wonderful opportunity to be able to help people encounter the why of our faith and that experience of beauty. Okay, if you heard me get up, I'm sorry. But <laughs> it just, it, I reminded me, I just got a book um, in my life teen package that is created in the beginning God. Um, and it's basically a book that bridges the gap between art and our creator. And it's just filled with beautiful artistic images and then these beautiful reflections. Um, and I just, it this is, this is what our church should be doing. If yeah. you haven't seen this, look it up, buy it. Um, it's, it's called beautiful. In the Beginning God Created. I read it backwards because they did it backwards. <laughs> it's artistic. It's very artistic. It's too artsy for me, I think. Um, just because I can't read it, I guess. But <laughs> it's it's just a beautiful reflection of truly how our church needs to be navigating and moving towards things like this and not yeah. clip art. Shoot me. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So there, in those moments, share the why. So here's an example. Let's say someone comes up to you and is asking you, okay, why does the church teach all these things about um, sex and sexuality. Like, why does the church want to be in my bedroom? Like, can it just let me have my, my own, like, that's a private thing. The church has no right to tell me how to use my body and live my life and do all these different things. So if you're speaking specifically maybe about abortion or premarital sex or something like that, those are common arguments or common attitudes toward that conversation with people who don't understand what the church teaches. You can say, well, the church teaches that, um, you know, life begins at the moment of conception and to kill that life is a mortal sin. And mm-hmm. the person in front of you is going to be like, yeah, why are you saying that? Like, I'm yeah. telling you that there's no reason for you to be saying that. They're going to be put off Yeah, so if you share the what, they're mm-hmm. going to continue to be able to recycle the same argument. Um, and so sharing the why, being able to say, you know, the church, it honors and wants to protect the dignity of every human person from conception to natural death. And so it honors and sees as so beautiful the act in which life is created and that's sex. Mm-hmm. And so maybe from that little moment, you can they can see, okay, maybe this is why the church is so pro-life because they're so, uh, are so involved in issues of like sex and sexuality and gender and all these different things in having all these um, teachings about them because there is a truth underlying that about what it really means to honor and um, the dignity of all human life. Um, so if you share with them the why, they might be at least be able to understand your perspective a little bit more. But if you hammer them with the what, and they have, there's no commonality yet established, um, I think anyone will acknowledge that they want to honor the dignity in other people. Yeah. They've just been told that there's other ways of doing that. Yeah. Um, and so if you can share that there's that commonality, um, there can be a really beautiful dialogue. So the next thing is sharing goodness. And I think this is really about sharing our joy or sharing our testimony. Because that's really the, the joyful way in which God has worked in our lives. Um, you have the best possible tool at your disposal in any evangelization or apologetic conversation. And that's your own story of how Jesus has worked in your life. Uh, Only you can tell that story. Mm. Nobody else can tell that for you, at least not in the way that you can tell it. And too often we resign to recycling things that we've heard on great podcasts like Man of Food for Thought or other, you know, (laughs) podcasts or other, you know, uh, apologetic people like people from Catholic Answers and all these things. And we want to, not that any of that is bad, but we seek to kind of memorize and recycle these instead of being able to say like, okay, I understand that you don't believe in Jesus. Let me tell you why I do and how he's changed my life and why I think that's beautiful. Because that can, this really goes back to the beauty. You're starting with the why and then the how is the sharing goodness. This is how God works, how God brings about beauty. And that's all about his goodness. And our current Pope 
is so awesome at um, portraying this message. His first encyclical, Evangelii Gaudium, The Joy of the Gospel, is all about how we can do this. I think we've talked about this before, how he literally says we cannot be sourpusses in our faith. And that word is legit in a papal encyclical. Like sourpusses is on the Vatican website on some, you know, (laughs) thing, which is awesome. And he says we cannot be in Lent without Easter. uh, And we cannot look like we're constantly at a funeral when, you know, every Mass... I don't know if he elaborates this far, but every Mass is a wedding celebration. And I think um, that's something that we really have to focus on. Um, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, she said, um, joy is the net of love that we use to catch souls. And I think if we're evangelizing effectively, we must first have encountered Jesus, um, and then we need to be able to tell that story. But if we're not currently like seeing the goodness in faith and seeing the joy in our faith and being able to develop and know and share our testimony, then the what that we're sharing when it comes to the truth, is hollow, and it's, mm-hmm. it has no foundation. Mm-hmm. If you're not in love with Christ, you're not going to be able to share that love mm-hmm. of his church and that love and the beauty that comes from it. So yeah. that's a place that you need to take a step back and check yourself a little bit and see, okay, am I actually in love with this, or is this something that I've just regurgitated and I know yeah. that needs to be said or should be said in your eyes? Um, but you need to take a step back and see, okay, where's my place of love and that should be christ and that should stem from him obviously you should be in love with him and then from that you start you start that conversation yeah absolutely and then lastly is sharing the truth um so we start with determine if this conversation is a fruitful one to have pray make sure you don't know you need you don't have to have all the answers then you know your goal you start to ask questions um get the context then share beauty first share the goodness which is the joy of our testimony, and then we end with sharing the truth. If they're ready, be willing to tell them the truth with love. Because sometimes the truth does hurt. But if you try and tell them this from the very beginning, let's say there's someone in front of you who identifies as gay or lesbian, and you want to share with them the truth of the the beauty of the teaching of the church about um, uh, people who struggle with same-sex attraction uh, or who have an attraction to the same gender. Um, Just going at the truth and, like, you know, reciting the catechism is probably not going to be the most like effective thing when you don't know maybe the pain that has been caused them by the church in the past mm-hmm. when they don't see the church as beautiful they see it as a harbinger of hatred mm-hmm. you know um they've dealt with maybe people who are very malicious in their presentation of the gospel toward them or very condemning um and so if you just go right there with the truth when they're not ready it's not going to be effective but if they are ready you have to then be willing to share it yeah. um and so that's something that's really important even if it'll be hard for them to hear even if it's an unpopular opinion um, people can't, no one is going to be served if we sugarcoat or compromise the truth uh, that God has revealed to us when it's time for it to be shared. But I'm really of the belief that we need to share truth from um, all sources, not just um, sources, especially when you're dealing with someone who might identify as an atheist. If you're like, well, here's what the Bible says, they're going to be like, I, did you hear me? I'm an atheist. I don't care okay. about the Bible. Like, so I think we really need to be aware of the really good resources that are out there to see how theology blends with these other different disciplines. So for instance, sharing the truth of science and someone who does this really well um, is Father Robert Spitzer and the Magis Center. Um, And so looking that up and seeing, okay, how does our faith blend with what we know about science and about astrophysics and things like, um, uh, I almost just said a bunch of really nerdy stuff that no one's going to understand, but you can go look it up. Um, 
But then, like, maybe things like philosophy as well. Um, Bishop Robert Barron is a really, really brilliant philosopher and theologian, and he really knows a lot of philosophy. Um, And also things like Pints with Aquinas with Matt Frad. That's a great podcast where he incorporates uh, not only he's a really great... um, uh, Thomist, and he knows Thomas Aquinas really well, but he also mm-hmm. knows a lot of the philosophy um, that influenced Thomas Aquinas and that has been present in influencing the church and our culture um, for um, the modern era. Um, and then things like history, like knowing history really well. Um, you know, Raymond Brown, he's a scripture scholar. He has a lot of books about the historical context of all the scriptures. So if you're really interested in the history around the Bible, getting that in context, but also people like Catholic Answers are really, really, um, a lot of their apologists are really good at um, church history. I'm thinking specifically people like Trent Horn, who really know like how the church developed and what the early church looked like. Um, and then things like sociology, looking at different studies like from the Pew Research Center or PRRI, the Public Religion Research Institute, and seeing how truth is present in these disciplines and points back to the truth um, that we can share. Um, all truth points to God. All truth points to God. And so it's a matter of recognizing that and kind of being willing to say like, okay, if maybe this avenue isn't going to work for them, how can I really be educated in this other avenue that might really speak to someone's heart um, who's really struggling with atheism or really has been hurt by the church? Um, and so St. Augustine says, um, says or said once upon a time, he probably still <laughs> says this in heaven, um, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose and it will defend itself. And I think that's something that we need to be able to be comfortable with. It's not feeling like if I don't articulate this truth, if I don't say this well, like this person's not going to know. Like just be confident in the fact that truth points to God and share what you can with them. But start with beauty and then the goodness of how God has worked in your life. And then if they're ready, then share the truth of what the church teaches because they'll then see that it's beautiful and it's brought you all this joy. Yeah, and I think we also shy away from using non-religious um sources because we feel like it's not going to point to God. But if you're using true sources that are good, that give out truth um, and are accurate, then it will benefit your conversation and it will lift it up and it will draw somebody closer to God because they're going to see, oh wow, like this is, has nothing to do with faith. This is just purely science and mm-hmm. I can see how this now connects and yeah. it connects their brain mm-hmm to faith and shows them the beauty of our faith. Yeah. So reading books like The Scientific Proofs for the Existence of God and like uh, by Robert Spitzer, Father Robert Spitzer, um, there's all these different resources out there that go along uh, these different lines. And so uh, we wanted to highlight a particular saint who was really um, gifted at a unique approach to sharing the joy of faith um, in evangelization and apologetics. And so uh, Jenna, who is our saint for this episode? Mm, Our saint is Saint Philip Neri. And he was born in Florence in 1515. He was one of four children. And um, they called him Good Little Philip because he... (laughs) It's like the tiny Tim of the church. (laughs) Yes, he's like the tiny Tim. Um, But he was always very cheerful and he was always very popular if you knew him. And so um, when he was 18, he moved away from his family, and he went to um, a friend of his and became his apprentice, and it was a business that he was really, really bad at. He pretty much sucked (laughs) at it. He was not good at it at all, which, you know, God saw and was like, okay, I'm going to pull you out of this. And so he, at the time, um, wasn't extremely faithful, but he had a vision, and 
at that moment of his vision, he dropped everything, and he had no money, and he had no plan. He just trusted in the Lord, and he ran to Rome, pretty much. And he just went straight to Rome, um, where he quickly found a home that he was able to stay with, and he began to tutor the two young boys that were there. And for two for about uh, two years, he just placed himself in prayer. He had communication and he and he hung out with the family but he really just kind of uh, removed himself from everything and he prayed um he only ate this is kind of funny he only ate bread olives and water for those two years i know that's just a really weird combo (laughs) and i'm not sure why he did it but he did and it's a fun fact um but during that time it really strengthened his faith um and it allowed him to readjust and see that he wanted to pursue philosophy and theology and so he started pursuing these things and for about three years he became an amazing student and he studied really really hard and he was like the top of his class and all of a sudden once again he just stopped everything and he dropped everything um, left his studies and he launched his mission in Rome to evangelize um, Rome because at the time there was very low attendance the Medici family which I know about because I've watched a show that showed the Medici family <laughs> and they're very bad let me tell you this show probably didn't portray them exactly yeah, but they were basically like they're the, the mob they're the mob the, yes. the time of the renaissance in Florence but they yeah. basically took over the catholic church in a sense that they um put different people like different priests and different people um in the higher ups of the church to make it all about power mm. and so the church at the time rather than being dedicated to <clears throat> Um, God and the church and the movement of the church, they were um, dedicated to power and riches. And so the church at the time was very destructive and very, very bad. And people were falling into paganism and lives of luxury. And so um, St. Philip saw all of this and really, really desired more and to kind of revitalize the church in Rome. And so he went on and he would find really, really busy, populated areas and just stand on the street and just start having conversations with people. Mm. And he was so, he was really, really funny. And he was just one of, had one of those really attractive personalities that you'd get stuck in a conversation with him and you wouldn't want to leave. Mm. And so he'd kind of catch people and he'd bring them in and he'd start having these conversations and he would just start off with a normal conversation with you and then he'd guide it to the faith and he would basically ask every single person um at the end of these conversations well brothers when shall we begin to do good and he'd ask them this question and it would awaken this sense of um desire to do more in their lives than than what they were doing at the time and a lot of people were just seeking luxury and seeking um just very sinful lives and so He'd catch them, and he'd reawaken them, and they would desire more of their life. And so from there, he wouldn't just, like, let them walk away. He would take them to churches, and he'd take them to these places where poor people were, and he'd have them feed the poor people, and he'd have them go (laughs) pray in these churches and do all these things right after these conversions because he knew that if they left, 
that conversion would die and that it, they just go back to their normal lives. But if he mm-hmm. showed them the the faith and the beauty mm-hmm. of, of this life, then they would be stuck and they'd like love it and they'd want to continue to pursue it. And so he'd catch people in this because of his personality. Um, and so after, typically after these long days, because that's all he'd do, he'd mm-hmm. just stand on corners and he'd talk to people and convert these hearts. Um, he would go sit on church um, steps and he'd pray and he'd kind of remove himself from you know all these people and all these conversations to have his conversation with God mm-hmm. and there was one time in particular that he was sitting on the steps of a church and it was the eve of Pentecost and he was praying and this hot ball of fire came out of nowhere and um, went straight for him and entered his mouth and went straight into his chest and it basically dilated his heart to the point where he couldn't take it anymore and he was just so consumed with fire and love that he cried out enough enough lord i cannot bear it um and after the hot ball of fire <laughs> left this crazy thing um his his heart the place over his heart was left swollen and enlarged mm-hmm. and he would um after times of like deep prayer and that he called it um whenever he was like under this deep spiritual emotion he'd have these crazy palpitations of his Mm. heart and he basically um he'd ask christ to like stop because he knew it would kill him Mm. and so he'd have these crazy encounters afterwards of just the presence of the holy spirit coming and he was like okay this is too much please stop um but he was so overwhelmed you literally (laughs) (laughs) he's just so in love his his um human body couldn't take it and so after about 10 years 10 years of this he became a priest, his confessor came forward and said, you need to, you need to become a priest because mm-hmm. you will do so much greater work if you become a priest. He did not want to do it. St. Philip mm. didn't really want to do it because he was so humble and he didn't feel like he um, would, not that he wouldn't make a good priest, but he was just too humble. Like he yeah. just didn't feel like he'd be good at it. And so he did in May of 23rd, 1551, he was ordained. Um, and after that, People knew him, and people flocked to him. They ran to him because they knew of the beauty and the goodness that he kept sharing, and they just wanted to listen, and they wanted to be taught. And so he'd sit and he'd read, and they built this brand new um, floor and room for him just to like have people come and speak. He began training people, and he had these five men that um, he would train, and they created a foundation that was called the Congregation of Priests, of the oratory and so he just continued to do all this crazy stuff the pope noticed him and bestowed an ancient church that saint philip was like yeah this is too tiny and this is too old we're gonna break this down and he literally tore the church down he had no money to build up a new church but the poor and the rich and um everybody that noticed him and saw the beauty that he was doing gave him enough money to build a brand new massive church and so his greatest desire was to um, just establish these close relationships with people and with others. Um, and it could just develop through drinking wine and, like, mm-hmm. having these drinking contests. <laughs> like, he was very human. Um, and he loved practical jokes. And he just, like, they call it un- other undignified um, behavior. But he just, he acted like a human. And he acted yeah. like a normal guy. And that personality and just that draw 
brought so many people to the faith because he was who he was and he yeah. was who God created him to be and he wasn't afraid to be that um and he didn't you know conceal his deep emotion and um he was just himself um but he also had these extraordinary gifts that he wasn't afraid to hide he mm-hmm. didn't keep them to himself he or himself I'm sorry <clears throat> he would share them with people and he um was just very raw and real with people and that drew people to the faith and so when he was older um and he would have his quiet time he'd have he had this room that people would go find him and there would be a line from the bottom of the stairs all the way up to his room constantly and so he really didn't have quiet time most of the Mm. time when he needed it but they just wanted to either have confession with him or just to speak with him and sit and be with him um and so on the day that he was going to die he thought he was going to have a couple more years and then a Mm. doctor came in and told him actually no like this is pretty much it for you and he said he knew that day was going to be the day that he died and Mm. so um it didn't stop him he brought he said like okay people come and so he said as many confessions as he could and he talked with as many people as he could and he met with as many people and at the end of the day when it was his time to finally remove himself from everybody and go and pray he said last of all we must die and he died um and so six years later he was canonized um in 1622 and he while he was alive though he received the name apostle of rome Mm. um and he was the patron saint of joy and evangelization and apologetics and so he um his feast day is may 26th and he lived from 1515 to 1595 and i just love this saint because he was so raw and real and good and he shared the beauty and the joy (laughs) of the faith that we desperately need to be bringing um to those around us and this is how we need to be speaking of our faith and speaking of christ yeah absolutely so saint philip neary pray for us and saint charles borromeo our patron saint pray for us um please check us out on manafoodforthought.com share this episode with anyone who you think could benefit from it yep uh, and please rate and review us on itunes we are also now on stitcher and on google play so if you could rate Oot. and review us on those uh so that other people can help find our podcast more easily that is always um a benefit uh to us and to all the people that this podcast uh we hope will serve um so otherwise uh reach out to us on social media to ask any questions uh give us comments um we're at mana food for thought on facebook at mana food for thought on instagram and at mana f4t on twitter um so otherwise uh pray for us and we will continue to pray for you and until next time we will see you in the eucharist bye, bye.